welcome back to the Novelty Podcast. My name is Mar. And I'm Sadie. And this is the podcast where we read the books so you don't have to. And this week, reading, we're switching it up. We're reading a nonfiction. It's mm. called The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read and Your Children Will Be Glad That You Did. Mm. So that's a mouthful. It's a long title. Yeah. But I thought it was, it's supposed to be, it's very widely talked about. It's a nonfiction, like we said. So we kind of wanted to switch it up. We're both, um, Mara's a mother. Come on. She's a mother to be again. <laughs> and I'm expecting as well. And so we're kind of just like, oh, this sounds really interesting to learn about in the stage of life that we're in. But also, it's a book that anybody could read because it's a book you wish your parent had read. Mm. And so I think, I don't know, how did you, what did you feel like it was going to be like, what did you think it was going to be about? I don't know. What were your thoughts going into this book? Yeah, I I think um, it's structured a little bit differently than I thought it would be. Um, The woman who wrote this uh, book, Philippa Perry, Mm -hmm. is that how you say it? Uh, She's a psychotherapist, which Sadie was a psychotherapist. Okay. (laughs) What's the difference? That's what I first read. I was like, what is the difference between a psychotherapist and what makes them a therapist? So the definition is a psychotherapist is a general term for treating a mental health problem by talking with a psychiatrist, psychologist, or other mental health provider. So it's kind of broad. It's like within those other three, psychiatrist, psychologist, um, but I did realize you have to go to school for about seven to ten years mm. to be a psychotherapist. Mm. So you go through a lot of uh, education to do this job. And so some of the things that you can work with and diagnose and help would be anxiety disorders such as OCD, um, PSD. PTSD. PTSD. I was like, PSD? What is that? (laughs) Um, Mood disorders, addictions, eating disorders, personality disorders, and schizophrenia. So you can, they can really address a wide range of um, mental health disorders. But uh, I thought that was just interesting versus a therapist who can help you talk through these things. That's what Mm -hmm. she does as well with her clients. But she has like a higher level of capability to address very specific and maybe higher level mental health disorders. Yeah. So Philippa Perry, yeah. So she's a psychotherapist. And uh, so I thought just thought the structure of this book, I guess, was going to be a little bit different. I find that in the book, um, she kind of gives you examples along the way of things that her clients have gone through. Very rarely does she give you kind of what she personally has gone through. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she kind of just does her thing as a therapist Mm -hmm. and tells you what they did right, what they did wrong and how you can uh, go back and change what you've done or fix it. And so I think, I think it's a good book. I just wish um, maybe it wasn't advertised as the book you wish your parents had read, because Mm -hmm. I think what they talk about are some very specific things that I don't think every parent uh, struggled with. And so this makes you think that it's something everybody can relate to. And maybe in some aspects you can. But I feel like a lot of it for me personally reading it, I was like, oh, this feels like a therapy session that was not meant for me because I did not experience a lot of these things. But I did get to learn a few things along the way, though. So, yeah, yeah. I kind of felt similar. I felt like the title, The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read, makes it sound very universal. Like mm-hmm. anybody would benefit from reading this book. And I think for me, what it did was bring to the surface things that I realized about my childhood or things that I was like, oh, I I have, this has helped me realize, oh, I have learned a lot of this stuff mm. in recent years or in adulthood, but not necessarily like revealing any of these crazy aha moments. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, reading, I first, I just kind of expect it to be more like, I don't even know, more practical yeah I guess and she does a lot of like you're saying examples from clients and I mean she does give some exercises throughout the chapter that I was like oh like thought exercises and I thought that was interesting but yeah it was definitely different than I thought so the book is split into six overarching parts um so the first one is called your parenting legacy the second is your child's environment then a chapter or a section on feelings laying a foundation conditions for good mental health and then lastly, behavior, which is all behavior is communication. So those are kind of the six overarching categories that she kind of works in. And so I guess we can just start off with some discussion. I mean, what was your favorite and least favorite part about this book? Mm. I would say my favorite part, well, I guess just the things I actually learned mm-hmm. from it would be like my favorite part. Like there was one 
There was a part in here that I liked about kind of not dismissing, like, the feelings area, like, not dismissing, like, how your child feels. Mm -hmm. And I I found myself, not to to my own horn, but I found (laughs) myself, like, reading this book and be like, oh, I think I do this really well, like, with my son already. I think my husband does does it really well with my son already. Um, But I liked this one story where uh, there was this little girl, she was, like, playing on the jungle gym, and her mom, like, she was like, mom, mom, like, I need help. And her mom was like, no, you're fine, like, get down, like... I'm going to count to three. You need to get down or whatever. And then um, they flash forward, they end up at like somewhere else and there's a similar jungle gym there. And her mom could see like kind of the, the um, she was feeling guilty, I guess, because she could see that her child was affected by the way that she responded to her last time. And she, so this time when her daughter said that she needed help, she didn't just take her down for her. She like helped her down instead of like, put your foot here, stuff like that, like helping her. And her daughter goes, well, why couldn't you help me last time? And she's like, oh, I didn't realize at the time, but like uh, I used to ask for help from my mom, you know, and that's just what my mom would say. And I think it kind of just triggered me and took me back there. But I didn't know that. And so I'm sorry that I took that out on you. And her daughter simply says, oh, I just thought you didn't care. And I just found that really eye opening because I think we yes, I, I really do believe in treating our, our our children like human beings, you know, like treat them the way you want to be treated. Um, but they also you have to remember that they're so innocent and impressionable and sometimes they're not at that stage where they can understand that oh there must be something deeper there and so it's like sometimes when we react when we don't realize that it's a reaction from something that happened to us our children just see that we don't care Mm -hmm. and in reality it's like yeah so that was probably one of my favorite parts about the book is just learning that like how you react it really does matter and it's good to take a second before you react Mm -hmm. to ask yourself why is this making me upset or sad or like you know before I take it out like on my child Mm -hmm. it's so funny because that exact story was something I related to when I started my like job a year ago I was working at um, the school and I was working with kindergartners and there was a girl it was like my first week there and there was a girl and she was on the top of the monkey bars Mm. And she was like, I want help getting off. I need help getting off. So I was like, okay. So I walked over there and just helped her get off. Like I lifted her off. And she went around playing and I thought everything was great. Perfect. And one of the other teachers came up and said, hey, we really encourage you to not help them just get off the monkey bars. And I was like, oh, okay, why? And she was like, well, if you, if they're climbing up there, then they're putting their body somewhere that they need to be able to understand how to put their body off of. Mm. So if you just lift them off, they have no idea how to get their body off of it so that it's not safe for them. So actually, if their body can't get up and down, it's not safe for them to be on that. Mm. And so you should just tell them that. And so I was like, oh, I never thought about like that. Like they need the muscle memory of how to get up and down. Otherwise, they don't know how to do it. And so the next time I was in that situation, I kind of did the same thing. I was like, oh, well, you got up, so let's try to reverse. Let's. How do you get back down? So could you try putting your foot there? What, what mm-hmm. could you do? Or and I had one of the other students come by and I said, hey, do you think that I knew could get up and down? And I said, hey, do you know how, do you have any ideas of how they could get off this? And it was really sweet. It was like a sweet moment. But I was like, I totally wasn't even thinking that way. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. I was like, oh my gosh, that was the exact story. Yeah, it's, it's so cool how it's like either way that you go. And I think that's one thing that I learned also in the book is like sometimes – Like, no matter which way you go, whether you make a mistake or you're trying your very best and you think it's the best decision, you never know how your child's going to react Mm -hmm. to it. And so it's like at the end of the day, like, just doing your best and then doing better the next time based off of how your child reacts Mm -hmm. to you is probably the best thing that you can do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, What was something that you did not like about this book or your just least favorite part? Yeah, I think my least favorite part, we we talked about it – a little bit, but <clears throat> as Sadie mentioned, she's she's expecting. I'm expecting at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I already I already have a a, a son at home. Um, but we and there's a part in this book that talks strictly about pregnancy and postpartum and things like that. Um, and I would say uh, it wasn't my favorite just because I didn't feel like not that she's not qualified, but a lot of the things that uh, Philippa Perry um, is able to diagnose like anxiety disorders, mood addictions, eating disorders, mm-hmm. like schizophrenia, stuff like that. Like I know that can play in if you have that as a mother. But other than that, I don't see 
where she necessarily qualifies mm-hmm. to talk about pregnancy in such a wide spectrum when it's not even something that she's allowed to diagnose. Yeah, she's not specialized in it. Yeah. And so I think for me, it was like, number one, I kind of skipped around in it, not just because I've already been through it and I already knew it. So it was like, okay, repetitive a little bit. But also I was just like, I don't, I, I don't know if you're someone that I would take this information from mm-hmm. when it's not even really to do with your job. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, like we take people's, um, input and what they've been through off the internet every day, but you take it with a grain of salt. And so it's like with her, I think that's where I just found myself being like, mm, like, yes, you're a mother, so you have insight there. Mm-hmm. It's like, but as a therapist, I don't know if I would trust what you're saying or what my body's going to go through when that's not even what you specialized in. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why it, that section was not necessarily my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. What was your favorite and least favorite part uh, of this book so far? I think. For me, my favorite, I really enjoyed the section on feelings, and then I enjoyed the section a lot on um, behavior, mm-hmm. in which the subtitle is All Behavior is Communication, which I think was really interesting. So I think my favorite part was um, it kind of – it kind of brought up for me – it was a connection for me between, like, the feelings and <clears throat> behavior as communication. I thought – it was so interesting because I didn't get raised in, like, a feelings household. Mm-hmm. Like, I was not, like, there was very little discussion on how, how something made you feel. Yeah, same. Nothing. And so I was, like, re- reading all of this, you know, in the light of, okay, I'm going to be a parent. Like, I want to, you know, I'm I'm thinking about this as in terms of, like, my future kids. But then I started reading and realizing, oh, my gosh, like, I don't even have – I have just learned some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I've just – worked through putting language to feelings which is so funny because I was thinking about this too of that job that I had with when I was a teacher I was like that it was such a steep learning curve because we are helping these young students and kids work through emotions because when they're starting school and their preschool and their kindergarten a lot of it is helping them understand emotions and regulate themselves and I hadn't even been taught to do that yeah I didn't have any of the languages the words, anything to say like, oh, I'm feeling upset. Mm. I'm feeling frustrated. That made me feel sad. That made me feel confused. Like genuinely, I don't think I ever grew up in a household that I'd never heard that. And it sounds so silly. I'm like, that is like the basics. Like that's mm. the actual basics of like, even if you don't grow up in a household like that, you would think, oh, it's just in you. If someone said, how are you feeling? Wow, well, yeah. But I never, I, I don't think anyone ever asked me how I was feeling or like, when someone would ask me that question, I didn't realize, oh, that meant I could say like, oh, I'm feeling confused mm. or I'm feeling upset or that made me feel hurt. or And so I just thought that was like very interesting reading this book of a lot of, I think, when kids react and when kids have emotions and they have behaviors that you'd prefer they didn't, a lot of it is them having a feeling and then not having the language to put that feeling out there. Like they don't know what to do with that feeling. So they're going to throw a tantrum or they're going to say no to you or they're going to act out or they're going to not want to leave, you know, the party that they're at or whatever it is, like because they don't have the language to express what they're feeling. Their body's just going to react. I thought that was interesting because in some of these chapters, um, they were just talking about how parents will really take it very personal right and they're like embarrassed right that the kids mm-hmm. having a tantrum at the store or their kids losing it at kindergarten and the other parents are watching them at pickup and it's just the worst feeling because you're like i can't quote unquote control my kid mm. and i thought it was interesting where it's like okay so much of it is like no what what are you feeling did it are you feeling rushed like and I, even working at the school i think that just that's where most of this stuff i kind of i feel like i learn um but i just thought that was really interesting of like it's so helpful from an early age for you to be able to say, oh, you're feeling frustrated because I said you couldn't have that toy. Mm. It's hard when we feel frustrated. Like literally basic language, but I'm like, I never got that. So I just thought it was really interesting of like me reading this, hoping to be like a uh, parent that can be close with their child and their parent and their child can talk to them about what they're feeling. And recognizing, oh my gosh, I just learned this stuff. So yeah. like, even for me, it's awkward sometimes. It's, for me, it's hard to be like, this is how I'm really feeling. Like, it's just awkward sometimes. And so I thought that was like really interesting. I, so I did, I thought that was beneficial because it just brought up a lot of like 
connections, I guess. Yeah. So it even wasn't necessarily like the like the information in these chapters because I felt like again like kind of you it's kind of you know it yeah or hopefully you're exposed to it like I've been learning about but um it was more what it like brought up for me than and what it kind of put together for me yeah and then my least favorite part of the book I honestly think it's so it's small but it was at the very start of the book and she just kind of had these throwaway statements about the family structure what did she say she said um it is true research has shown family structure has little effect on children's cognitive or emotional development. And I just was like, that doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. I don't think so. It didn't feel right to me either when I read it. And she and and I was like, okay, well, what are the research that you've studied? What's the research that you've been looking mm-hmm. at? Because she didn't cite anything. And so for me, I feel like you're a freaking psychotherapist. And this book, by the way, it's number one international bestseller. Like mm-hmm. this is a very highly rated, talked about book. And I was like, how can you get away with saying that statement without actually citing research? Yeah. Like, I thought that was so shocking. And so I think it's like very, again, I don't know if this is specific to London or the UK where she is living and where she was writing from. But I just thought you can't say something like that as a throwaway statement because I truly do think the family structure absolutely has a massive impact on how children feel and their emotional and cognitive development it even shares a story in there about this man who like he you know he and his wife they never they never thought that they would have kids and then they find themselves at like 40 45 and now he has a son and he just feels like leaving and and so instead his wife makes him you know go see philippa she mm-hmm. is, that's who he's seeing um and he, she starts saying like he says that he's bored and he thinks he wants to leave and it's just like nothing's exciting anymore. It's just not what he wanted for his life. So she asks, like, what, what was your childhood? And he goes like, well, I had a normal childhood. And she's like, well, what does normal mean to you? And he's like, well, my father left when I was very young. And after a few years, like, I just never like talked to him anymore. And it was through that that like she was able to kind of expose him to the fact that maybe the reason he's feeling this way is because now that he has a child, he has to face the fact that he doesn't really know how to be a father because he never had a father. And so maybe like you're just, it would be easier to just do what your dad did, but it's even showing right then and there statistically that could be wrong, that he had a hard time and it's not only just affecting him, it's now affecting the next generation after him. Because he wanted to leave. He wanted to leave because he didn't know how to handle it mm-hmm. so i i yeah i thought i did not like that either because it was like there's and we know so many people yes that struggled and almost a lot everybody struggled yes. with some type of family dynamic mm-hmm. and so you can't say that like your dynamic has nothing to do with how you struggle right because it absolutely is a direct impact of that yeah if you have a feeling of a loving family unit whatever that looks like but if you feel safe and secure and you have a loving stable family unit that will absolutely affect you in a in a way whether positive hopefully if you have a uh absent or um unstable like you don't know when your caregiver is coming home you don't when your parents Mm. coming home you don't know what it's going to look like you don't know what the feeling when you walk in the door is going to be that absolutely affects a yeah. child's development. Mm-hmm. If you feel like I don't know what to expect when I go home. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So I just thought that that was kind of I just wish she had at least put any kind of research or backup or studies or anything. Because I'm like, I honestly I'm like, how did you get away with saying that statement? But she mentions in the beginning that she's research. a psychotherapist. So therefore, right. like, I think people would just take that as like, oh, but she knows. I just feel like any book that really and this is a credible book. Like, I feel like this is not some little book. This mm. is like a very popular, extremely popular. Yeah. Came out in uh, 2019 and then 2020 in the U.S. Yes, it is extremely popular. Yeah. And I'm like, it, I just feel like. I feel like she had a snappy title and so people were just like, oh, this is amazing. But I'm like, how did you get away with that? I just feel like that's not even, I'm like, that's not legal. Like, I'm just like, how did you do that? But yeah. That that totally took me by surprise. Yeah. Um, Okay. So another question, I guess, what were your impressions of the author's style? Did you find the book easy to read? Was it hard Mm -hmm. for you? Kind of what did you think about the overall reading experience of this book? Yeah. I like, I don't want to sound repetitive, but I think the I'm not sure if I was a fan of the way she styled the book. I'm going to be completely honest. I have not read a lot of parenting books. I think 
the only one I've ever read is what to expect when you're expecting. Yeah. Like that's the classic one every mother gets for yeah. her, you know, her daughter. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was just like, and that even is a whole different aspect. It's telling you like what to expect in health development, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so this, I think I was expecting another parenting book to be like what to expect mm. and then what to do. But this book is written in a way where it's like only, I f- really feel like only a certain group can really like feel like, oh, like I should be prepared for that. Mm. Like like you said, yes, it brought up some things from our own like past of like, oh, I want to make sure I don't repeat that same mistake. But I don't think it taught it taught me much, honestly. Yeah. It wasn't like a teaching book and I thought it was going to be. Yep. So, same. and I, yeah, I don't know. And I didn't like her style of, I just felt like I was excited to hear more of her mm-hmm. versus uh, she does pull a lot of quotes from other books and then gives her opinion off of what that other person wrote. And so it doesn't really feel like the the thought had come from her. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I think I feel similarly. I thought I definitely thought it was going to be a more practical or just more. I would learn more. And I guess a lot of this was like either just reaffirming or establishing. I feel like a lot of common knowledge, mm-hmm. like, a lot of people, I think, even if they aren't parents, <clears throat> because this book is marketed to everybody, right? It's yeah. the book you wish your parent had read. So I think anybody could read this book and go, yeah, obviously, like you need to listen and mm. not listen, not to respond. Obviously, you need to engage with your child and not be on your phone. Yeah. Obvi- like there's just a lot where I was like, well, yes, like, of course, that is Everybody knows that kind of. And I guess she would nail certain points in and really like, I guess the only thing I did like about the way it's structured, I like some of the exercises. So she had these like thought exercises at the end of certain chapters. And some of them were kind of a little like, I was like, okay. Some of the exercises felt like it was just repeating what she had said in the bullet point form. But but. some of them were interesting. One of them was in the laying the foundation um, section. And it it was basically trying to figure out what support do you need? So it was like mm. you as a parent, you as a expecting parent, whoever you are, you as a person, what support do you need? And then you basically would write the names of people in your life or you'd write like a parent figure, whoever. You write names of people and then you draw solid lines to that person if you felt like that kind of support would be given without you having to ask for it much. Yeah. Like they would just, you know that they're going to be there. They're going to support you. They're going to help you. And then you draw dash lines to um, the ones that you would have to you would have to literally like put that support in place. So it's yeah. like either I don't have it, this support, and I need it, or I have these friends, but I'm gonna really need to ask them to like, yeah. I'm gonna need you in this season. Can you do that? Like, and I thought that was interesting, just in general of life. Mm, yeah. I thought that was like a very interesting thought exercise for me of like, oh, what? Who are the people in my life that that support just happens? without even basically meeting to do anything. Like, I know I'll support them. They'll support me. We're in each other's lives. We're going to help each other. And then the support that you could, even like that idea, it sounds so stupid, but you could ask for that support and put that in place. Mm. And I thought that was so interesting too because I'm like, this whole asking for help and being vulnerable and all yeah. that. I was like, that is obvious. Like, we know these things. Mm. But I just thought that that exercise was kind of interesting. That is a really good exercise because it's like that is one thing where it's like we might know it, but do we use it? Mm-hmm. Like because that's one thing that I definitely struggled with. And I love that part as well of like uh, giving birth here in the next few weeks. And like we don't have you you or I, we don't have any like family super close, mm-hmm. like our immediate family really close by. And so it kind of you're kind of forced to ask help from friends, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and so sometimes that can for me personally has been uncomfortable mm-hmm. just because I I don't really tell people when I have a problem mm-hmm. just because I love being there for people when they have problems and I'm just ended up being that person that's like I'd rather talk about yours than mine not because I don't want to share with you but because like I want to show you that like I really care about what's going on in your life mm-hmm. um but then it's been hard to be like oh like, who is my support system? Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, yes. I was like, who else should I be asking yes. here uh, to come over when I need help mm-hmm. with the like the new baby and stuff like that? And so, yeah, it's like that. that is I would say that's one thing that is good about this book of saying it's like, yeah, we might know it, but do you actually use right. it? Right. And I love that of just like even the the solid and dash lines for some reason in my brain. I was like, oh, my gosh, like you can't you 
look at it objectively. Like look at a piece of paper, put your name in the middle, put your and your husband, your and your family's name in the middle, whoever it is. And you can, you get to put a support team around you. And so Mm -hmm. for me, it's like, and for you probably, but for me, I have a absolutely built-in non-starter support system Mm -hmm. back in Arizona. I, if I had this baby there, I would not even need to do this because I have, I could literally, I have like eight people without even needing to blink. I would know they would be there. They would clean. They would help. They would do whatever, even just emotional support. Let's forget having a baby. Like they're just there. They're in your life. They know you They're It's deep. And so then I think, but recognizing like you can put someone's name down, draw that dashed line and in put that support in place for yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I think that visual for me of like, oh my gosh, like even though I might not have a bunch of solid lines right now, Mm -hmm. or I think I do, but I would need to confirm whatever. It's like the idea that you can put that in place. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very empowering feeling for a lot of people because it can feel helpless. You can feel kind of lost being like, Okay, I have my three good friends, right? And it's like you don't need many more than that. There's so there yeah. is actually Miss Philippa research that you <laughs> literally only need a very few number of yes. deep, true connections to have a fulfilling life and feeling uh, fulfilling connections with people. But the idea, I think, if you can feel very lonely, if you're like, I have like two people in my mm-hmm. life that love me deeply, know about me, and care about me, but you could put that in place. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting. I don't think a lot of people think like that. And I, I don't really think like that. And you were saying it's like hard and uncomfortable. It's like yeah. awkward basically being like, hey, I would like to rely on you more. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would like you to show up in my life in this way. Yeah. It's so, yeah. Because we, we asked a friend, um, shout out, you know who you are. I won't <laughs> put their name out there. But we asked a friend to kind of come and help our, be with our son whenever we're in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Not only do we pick this person because we trust this person, but also because we know that this person doesn't have a lot of they're younger. They don't have like a family of their own yet. And so it'd be easier for Mm -hmm. them to do this. Um, And so but even like that, it feels like, would you be willing to spend the night (laughs) at our house with our toddler for for who knows how long Mm -hmm. while we're there? Like, it just feels like such a big ask, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it's like, but I love that she put that diagram because it's like more than you know, more than likely you have a lot of people in your life that are like, oh, yes. Right. But you just don't know that because you've never been in that situation before. Right. So it feels weird even asking. But yeah, mm-hmm. anyways. Uh, yeah, crazy. I thought it was interesting. And there was also this section. Um, it was on conditions for good mental health, mm-hmm. which I was like, OK, this you have a little bit more credence to talk about. You have a little more credibility. You yeah. can talk about this area. Like, I'll, I'll listen up. <laughs> but again, some of it was like a little bit obvious. But one thing that they said or one quote that she had in there that was interesting to me was if they meaning the child or the young person in this situation, if they don't get enough attention, the child can get stuck in feeling real only when they have a direct behavioral or emotional impact on those around them. And I was like, that to me makes so much sense because if your child is like throwing a fit or needing attention, it's literally not that they're throwing a fit or needing attention. It's that they feel real, mm-hmm. literally like a real human being only when you're looking at them and uh, and paying attention to them. Mm. And so if you because there was kind of they were talking about this idea called object permanence, which is your child doesn't develop that until a little bit later on that they will re- realize something is still real even if I can't see it. Yeah. So like if you're in the room and then you walk out of the room and they're a year old, they don't know if you're real anymore. They don't know where you are. They don't know who you are. Mm. They're like they're gone. They don't know if you, they don't know if you're coming back. But then you establish that object permanence of you're going to come back in the room and you're going to drop them off at preschool and you're going to come back at the end of the day and, and you know, dad or grandma, whoever, will come back at dinner time or whatever that is. So you establish like, oh, even if I can't see them, it they're still real and they're yeah. still there. They're not gone forever. And so I thought that quote was really interesting because if you only give somebody, and I was kind of thinking about this in general, if you're only paying attention to somebody when they're in crisis, or you're only paying mm-hmm. attention to someone when they're high stress, or they they feel like they have to work themselves up, or they feel like they have to have something really crazy in their life, and that's the only time that they get attention, then they start to feel like the only time that they're real is when they have a direct emotional impact on that person. Yeah. 
And that's when they know they have their attention. And that's when they know, okay, I'm like, somebody sees me. Mm. I thought that was so interesting. That is so interesting because I think a lot of the times, like, parents might not notice that they made that mistake of, like, not paying attention that well. And then they just call their uh, children attention-seeking when they Mm -hmm. grow up without realizing it's, like, it's because, like, you only pay attention Mm -hmm. when I do this. Which is crazy because it made me think of, like, our son um, who is almost two years old. Like, he throws tantrums, you know. And so it's, like... Uh, but I think we handle it in a good way because what he, I, I can recognize and understand that he does not know what is going on. Mm-hmm. He does. He can't connect yet. Why that thing made him upset. He right. just know it made him upset. Right. And he's obviously too young. He's like still not like he has a large vocabulary, but he's not speaking like sentences, right. you know? So it's like, it's not like he can sit there and be like, mama, this made me sad because of this. Like right. he doesn't know. No. And so what we do is like, when we notice he's upset, we go, okay, Baba, we see that you're upset. You know, it's like, can I help you? And we'll try to do a few things. And then if we notice that's not helping, we go, okay, well then you just take this second to feel it. You know, Mm -hmm. take a second, roll on the floor if you need to do it. Mm -hmm. Roll out like, you know, I'm not going to tell you my parents. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in an environment where you heard a lot. I don't know if this is like an older generation. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, you better stop your crying. or I'm going to give you something to cry about. Right. To me. Why is that truly such a statement? That is like an iconic older generation statement. Yeah. Yep. And you're just like, and when that happens, like, you just like, okay, like, I'll stop crying or whatever. It's like, but it makes you feel like your feelings don't matter. Or that you shouldn't have them. Or that you shouldn't have them. Like, it's wrong that you felt that way. And so with raising also a boy that's going to turn into a man that hopefully will turn into a husband to a wife, I want him to grow up and know what he's feeling and why he's feeling that way. Instead of playing this guessing game with his wife that we see a lot in these generations, because these men and women, but men, because my son's a boy. Mm -hmm. Right. Is that they don't they were never told that it was okay to process it. Mm -hmm. So we tell Malachi, like, roll around, do your thing. And I walk away. I'll literally just go back to doing the dishes. And I notice what happens is he'll maybe take 10 seconds to cry and then he'll stand up and he'll look around and be like, oh, wait. Like, I'm okay. Like, I felt what I needed to feel. And now let me go on the way. Because I think it's ridiculous that we expect like. I guess we expect children should just get it. But then like how you said, like sometimes we're just now getting it, mm-hmm. that it's okay to feel, you know, like how you react to it. That's a whole other thing. But first it starts with being like, no, it's okay. Like God gave you these feelings and we're going to work through them. And then because you're allowed to feel them, now we can give you healthy ways to cope with those feelings. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't even start if you don't tell them that they're allowed to feel it. A hundred percent. I think something I noticed what you said too, that is different than when children are having, you know, outbursts, tantrums, loud feelings, and is that you address it verbally, even mm-hmm. if he's still going through that experience, right? Even if he's still throwing a tantrum, if he's on the ground, you're verbally acknowledging it addressing it and then letting him have and saying okay i'm going to let you have he knows that you're there to help he knows that okay i'm letting you have this moment and then i think what you're saying is like that 10 second where he kind of realizes oh i'm fine he realizes oh i can i'm having huge emotions i'm having big feelings i don't know what to do with them but then i'm gonna be okay Mm -hmm. i can i'll be okay after Mm -hmm. and i think even that established routine of recognizing like you're not just being like watching him out of the corner of your eye from start to finish of like watching him throw a tantrum Mm. you're acknowledging it hey i see that you're upset can i help you trying something if he's just like no i have these feelings okay i'm gonna let you have them even just all that verbalization i think is so important for them to recognize like okay i i don't have to react for you to look at me and pay attention Mm. to me do you know what i mean and i think that was why this quote was so interesting it's like yeah if you only if you're and i it's so funny because and the job I have now, I work with anywhere between kindergarten age to middle school age. And in middle school specifically, I've noticed a very, a complete polar opposite type of student. The ones that I can tell, they are emotionally regulated and they feel seen and heard at their house. Mm. And then the ones that totally, I can just, you see it, you feel it, you experience it, of they need your attention they have to they say crazy stuff they are super moody they have to they have to say all these wild things to get your attention Mm -hmm. because they don't 
get the attention of an adult at home. Like you can tell, like, so the students that feel regulated, and I can tell that they have parents that are involved in their lives, even the way they talk about their parents. It's like, you can tell they're involved in their lives Mm. and they feel like their parent knows them, talks to them. They know their parent. They talk to them. They're not looking for my validation and affirmation the same way these other students that they, you can, their parent, you can tell they are a difficult child, but not because of the difficult, not like difficult child. I'm sorry. They are, they don't know how to cope with the emotions and the feelings and the thoughts that they Mm -hmm. have in the same way maybe these other students would, because I don't think that their parents are helping them work through at home. And their parents probably just see the exterior of what the child is like expressing, right? Whether there can be like, these are, this is not my ideal scenario. Like this Mm -hmm. kid is acting in a way that I would prefer they did not. And you can tell. And so I just think it's so interesting. It's like, yeah, I think if you if you only react to your child when they're having an outburst, when they're having all these emotions, when they're having all these feelings, then that's when they think. I just thought it was interesting. They literally think that's when I'm real. Yeah. Crazy. That is crazy. I thought that was so interesting. And then also they talked about love bombing. Do you Have you ever heard of that phrase before? I have not. Okay. Do you know what? I have only heard it in the context of dating. Really? And let me tell you what. Toxic dating. I was going to say, it felt kind of like a Literally. Well, I didn't realize, because when she used it, it definitely sounded like a therapist's term. Like, it sounded like a technique and a term. So, in this context, it was the idea, was it it like taking your child for a weekend or like a a day or a special... It's like to fix the kind of the routine that you set that like mm. if like say you did something bad as a parent or like maybe you haven't been there and now you're trying to be there more it's like you love bond them out of nowhere basically. it's like a yes day it's a yes day where the kids get to pick anything where it's like a day or the whole weekend and it's supposed to teach them slowly but surely that like I know I haven't been there before, but I'm changing it. I'm changing it now, and I'm changing it fast. Yeah, which was interesting to me because in the way that I've heard it is literally in reference to dating, toxic dating. I'm not even kidding you. Wow. Literally, it's on these podcasts that I literally listen to. It's so funny <laughs> to me. And it's basically like very quickly, very fast, very early on, one or the other partner will be like, I, I think I love you. I'm in love <laughs> with you. You're amazing. I Like just basically everything you'd want to hear. Mm. But uncomfortable because it's like your third date or your fourth date or it's like But you we meant it though. It wasn't like <laughs> not even kidding. I'm dying. After our first date, my husband went home and wrote a poem about how he was pretty sure he was oh, in love with my- me. See, why is that sweet though? Because he meant it. Because if he, he didn't it. mean if it, didn't it mean would it be mean. love bombing. So it's good. I literally think it took Joel. It took. It was like six months before he said "I love you," and I had yeah, to say it first. No, I feel like that's I, more like, appropriate. Really, though. <laughs> we were like a weekend. We're like we love each other. Our lives have been changed. But also, I think that's also maybe. Well, you said that you didn't feel like you were a feelings household, huh? Oh, absolutely not. And okay, so I think when I did feel something, oh. I felt it hard and I felt it quick because I literally was like I don't i cannot say that i don't know if i should say so that's mm. interesting because i was like maybe you felt more free and comfortable to say I, that well, i had many partners <laughs> in high school yeah my partners actually like maybe like four or five yeah and to me at the time it wasn't a lot but i remember i had a friend back then that was like we're not friends well we're we're acquaintances right. now but back then she she would say like you know like why you're just like you can't be alone and i was like I don't, first of all, it hurt me when she said it. Let me tell you. She's like, you just can't be alone, and that's just kind of annoying. I was like, okay, way to get me there. But on top of that, now looking back, like, she was right, because I was like, I didn't get that at home. I didn't get that, like, my parents would say that they loved me. I knew they loved me. Right. But the way they didn't, like, how we talk about love languages and stuff, they didn't love me the way I needed to be loved. Were they affectionate at all? barely like, but would they I, hug you or would they like ever like did you ever feel like snuggly gave, or cuddly oh no okay, we always yeah. we always gave a when we were little yes okay but then i think just because of things that i personally went through right. that were traumatic i stopped doing those things right but it was always you gave a hug and a kiss on the cheek at night you always okay. did that but i always felt uncomfortable okay. doing that but i i wanted them to know that i loved them and i know mm. they liked that but i never felt like they were willing to get to know me in a way that was like they would know how to love me correctly mm-hmm. because it was always like 
you gonna cry I'll give you something to cry about right. there was never a moment of like well wait why are you crying was it tough love it was, t- it was yeah, tough yeah, love yeah. and so anytime outside of my home that somebody was willing to love me the way that I actually wanted and needed to be loved I was like I've never felt this before so right. I'm in love baby <laughs> this is this like, is this it, is it. <laughs> this is what the movies are talking about right here love bombing <laughs> Yeah, I loved I loved hard. <laughs> See, I thought that was so I mean, that's so funny. I didn't know that. I mean, I know that you guys like very, very, very quickly were like, we're the ones. Like, this is it. Oh, we're yeah, we were. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah, worked out, I didn't though. thought that was interesting. I thought love bombing. I was like, wow, I'd never heard of that in context. It reminded me, I think there literally is a movie called Yes Day. I could be wrong. But I it's like a so family too. movie about like within reason. The children, basically anything they want to do that in that full 24-hour period, the parents have to say yes to. And I think it's so funny because I was like, oh, that sounds like not for me. Like, that sounds crazy. And then I was like, well, why do I feel like that way? Because Mm. I thought that was so interesting because I was like, I that would have been zero, never happened in my household. Mm. Like, there is no freaking way that that would have happened. But my parents, like, were very, like, they just, I didn't feel like it was you never got a say or you never got to have an opinion. I just think that maybe that I was like, oh, that would not happen. That's so funny to me. My parents tried to do that once. And I don't know if they looked at it as like love bombing. They don't Uh work that way. Or a yes day. But I remember they pulled my brother and I into the bedroom and they just printed out two pictures. And like, okay, guys, we're letting you pick our vacation. Right, which they already picked it. Right, because they but thought they were we'd fine with. The, oh no, they thought that we would. <laughs> I mean, Wait, so they really didn't let you pick one? They had one already. Picked. They had one picked out <gasps> because, like, what kid? Okay, let me tell you what the options were. One was Disneyland or Chuck E. Cheese, which Chuck E. Cheese you can go to anytime. Right. So naturally, your parents are thinking you're, you're joking. Kids. We were like. I'm Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> you bet. I don't know if we knew what Disneyland was, but we were like, oh, okay, that pizza there. Chuck e. We, well, no, we didn't end up going because oh. my parents were like, you guys really want to pick Chuck E. Cheese over Disneyland? Like, do you know what Disneyland is? And we went to Disneyland. Have, they ever, have you guys ever been there? It was our first time. Okay, my, so my you parents didn't know. have been there before, okay. but we didn't. We just That's didn't put so it together. Fun. They should have literally done like Disneyland or like grass. Like, well, like I, I mean. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese is grass compared to <laughs> Disneyland. Like, I think they tried their best there, but we saw that. And we're like, oh my gosh, the pizza They're like, you want to go to Dirt Lot or Disneyland? Yeah. You're like, Dirt Lot. We're like, oh my gosh, I can find some cool rocks there. <laughs> like, so, but they didn't do that again. Uh, no. Next time they just said, we're going That's on vacation. That's so funny. Here. That's so <laughs> funny. Well, yeah, yes days maybe don't work. Love bombing maybe does not work. And if we learn anything, it's love bombing in relationships. You got to mean it. Okay. True. Mean it early on or no, we don't. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think, well, I think um, my husband and I are going to uh, try, want to do something kind of like a yes day where mm-hmm. it's more like once a month, especially now that we're having a girl where we do one on one time with each of them and they get to pick the activity and then we switch where it's like, okay, now it's me and my son and he gets to pick the activity like that. But it's not like the whole day. Yeah, that but- was my husband. His every month on the date of their birth. So like his, he was born on the 14th. So every 14th. He would go on like a, it was like a dad Sunday or like a mom's Sunday. And so they switched off and on. So like January, he'd go with his dad, February, his mom. And then it would like keep going. And he loved it. He thought he was like, it was so great. He was also like, it was weird. But when you're older, when you, because they did it literally until they were like 18. Mm. And they were like, he said as he got older, he felt like it helped him also just have one-on-one time with like an adult and go out with somebody and they say they would go to dinner it's like sitting across the table from someone Mm -hmm. having a conversation you think that that's easy but obviously as you go through puberty adolescence all that you can get weird and just awkward and whatever and so he was like i love that it was really helpful so i love that for you guys (laughs) all your kids will love that love bombing love Love bombing okay well what, what was the um I got a question for you. Just because, um, I don't know if it's here, but I'm going to ask it to you anyways. Uh, Just because now you're going to be becoming a mother, entering that ground. She's a mother, (laughs) y'all. It talks about sleep training a lot in in a section of this Mm -hmm. book. Now, I'm going to be honest. Hunter and I did do sleep training, but we did it in a 
different way Mm -hmm. because I'm also the type of mother that's like, my baby's crying, he needs me, I gotta be there. You know, so we did it in a very specific way. But Mm -hmm. how do you feel about sleep training? What do you think is what you're gonna do for yourself? Mm -hmm. I think it really depends on your family. Like, yeah, I wouldn't say there's a right or wrong answer. Yeah, I mean, I noticed that too. I thought they brought up something called the comfort baseline. And when in reference to sleep training with that, I thought was interesting of like, your whatever your child's comfort baseline where they start off at is like you will always have to go back to that and then you'll always have to nudge it forward. So like mm. maybe say the comfort baseline is like they are sleeping by your bed or in your bed every night with you, right, when they're young. Mm-hmm. And then they can fall asleep just fine right next to you. They feel your body. They feel your warmth, whatever. And then you the next nudge or whatever is you put them in the bassinet and or you – give them to your partner and let them like after you feed them or whatever and let them go to sleep on them. And then, and then maybe the next nudges, they go in the crib and Mm -hmm. you like, oh, you just rub their head or their tummy until they fall asleep and, and all that. And so I am definitely, when I first thought was, I was like, yes, I want to sleep train because I think kids respond so well to schedules. Mm -hmm. I think they respond super well to predictability, knowing that something's going to happen, knowing when it's going to happen, and they just regulate super quickly to that. I mean, I've seen that with, like, so many ages. And even, like, for me growing up, when we were little, like, we would have – you knew exactly what was going to happen on these times, on these days. Like, you knew, okay, it's coloring time now. Like, when we were little, coloring time, then play time, and then mat time, and then outside. Like, you just knew, and it it just kind of – you flowed within that. And then Mm -hmm. when you were at, like, the table and it was coloring time – you could have 45 minutes there of uninterrupted. You could do whatever. So you got to be involved, whatever. So I just think schedules work really well. So my first thought is, yes, like I definitely want to sleep train because I think it will help regulate them. But then also in my brain, like I, I've just been thinking a lot about like, this sounds so maybe woo woo, but I was literally <laughs> was like, I was thinking about how much like you're training your child like to be, they're already a person, right? They're already a being, a human Mm -hmm. being, you're helping them work through all the phases of life. And one of the big things is night and dark, like Mm -hmm. morning, night, like you have to literally regulate them to you understand like when it's light, it's awake and we're up and we're moving. And when it's dark and it's night out, like that's when we go to sleep. And so I was even just like talking to Joel about like what, like you're putting your child like out in the sun and letting them be outside and letting them sleep like where there's light and things like that. And then towards nighttime like completely in the dark black like it helping mm. them just regulate to what you as an adult have to do what you as a person young person to, i don't know so i think in my brain i'm like yes i want to sleep train that seems like it makes a lot of sense to me mm-hmm. um but yeah i don't know i'm also trying to be super open to whatever my baby's gonna be going through yeah. you know yeah i know yeah, i think that's the best way that anybody can do yeah. it because i'm a very big believer no matter how many books you read mm-hmm. you have no idea who your mm-hmm. child is going to be mm-hmm. what mixture of the two of you they'll be or the mixture of someone else in your line like they could right. be like a sibling and you're right. like holy crap that's my oh, brother oh my god why are you my no. brother you have no idea <laughs> and so it's like yeah you it's kind of no matter what these parent books try to give you if right. you're like a new parent like You got to do what's best Mm -hmm. for your child. And sometimes that's going off of your intuition. Because, like, with my son, he is a very calm baby. I prayed for that. I, (laughs) like, I I genuinely did. I know colic is a very real thing in some babies. Y'all, if you don't know it, I love myself some Jesus. And I believe in the power of prayer. Pray over your child day in and day out. Like, there would be moments where, like, he'd just be crying. Just because, not because he was colic, but just because he was crying. And I'd be like, Lord, please give my child some peace. And 15 minutes later, that man was out. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so I think it was just... Finding your own way to kind of help your child cope through things. And now at the end of the night, you know, Malachi says his own little prayers. You know, he says Jesus and amen. Okay. And everything else in between, we kind of help him with. But when it was sleep training, I started out with that where it was like we we co-slept for a long time. Mm -hmm. Because not because I wanted to in the beginning, but because I noticed, yeah, they love being close to you. And it was just so less exhausting. And I got more sleep if he was just right there. Mm -hmm. You know, also know your own body. If you feel like you can't wake up to a sound, like just put him in the bassinet. It's okay. Don't roll over your baby, you know. But but he was fine with that. And then we went to the bassinet and then the crib. That's what I would do. I'd rub his head and I would just like just sit there. 
sometimes it felt crazy because I was like, I wish I could just sleep train, but I knew he needed comfort. And so I'd be there for like an hour, an hour and a half, just like the room dark. I'm tired, hanging off the side of the crib and just like petting his head, his back. And then he'd fall asleep. And then it got to the point where we're like, okay, I think we're ready to like let him cry it out. Mm -hmm. And I did not have the experience where it's like 15 minutes of your kid crying. What I did is like, if he was crying, we'd set the timer for five minutes. Right. And if he was still crying, I'd go in, I'd pick him up, I hug him, I give him a kiss, say, like, I'm here for you, you're okay, you're doing a good job, and I'd lay him back down. And for a while there, I would only need to do that twice, and then he was out. Because I think even before a year old, they can tell, like, oh, my my parents have shown me that they're gonna come in and help me. Right. You know, and so like that's a big I think that's a big part of sleep training. Like I don't recommend being out there like it's been an hour because now your kid thinks that you're not going to come back for another right. hour. Right, 100%. Like that's... Yeah, they're like, so know, I'll cry for an hour. Yeah, but I mean, I we did sleep training, like, yeah. but I think you do it the best that you yep. can for your, your son or daughter. Love that. Agreed. Dang. Yeah, I mean, final thoughts. I mean, I guess... Yeah. This, I think it was really helpful in some regards. I think it brought, I think even this discussion right now, Mm. this is what I think the book can do is bring up a lot of, um, a lot of discussion. It can bring up a lot of themes. It can bring up a lot of ideas. It can, um, it allows room for reflecting on your own childhood, reflecting on how your parents affected you positive and negative i think any person can relate to that um not just a mom not just like a parent figure i think literally any person can go okay read this book and go okay it could bring up a lot of like reflection moments but i also do think a lot of it is just like common knowledge yeah a lot of it felt like just stuff we would know so i don't know expect when you're expecting (laughs) part two (laughs) two. okay one out of five what would you rate it and then we'll Okay, yes. I think I would give it a three and a half. And I think I would just recommend it to people specifically if I knew someone going through these situations that had a hard time that are afraid that they might do the same to their kids. That's how I would recommend this book. I would not recommend it as like, you're a new parent. This is everything you need to know. Like, no, I would recommend what to expect when you're not expecting. Per. When you are expecting. (laughs) Yep. I was going to say, I was going to rate a three. Mm. I was just going to say, yeah, I think... Again, more for, I think, the reflection aspect of it that I found the most beneficial. Not necessarily for, oh, my gosh, like I need to, like you're saying, uh, you're going to be a new parent or Mm -hmm. you are a parent and you need to go through it and you need to be, you need to have some tools or you need to have some new ideas. This is not that book for you. I think, though, it can be a very good, um, like a, a starting point for reflection and then for maybe some, yeah, just some thought exercise i think that was the best thing of like even in general like just a lot of things were brought up that you it yeah causes you to think about yourself your parents Mm. whatever that experience looked like for you and then kind of looking at how you can better yourself and change yourself going forward yeah yeah well you guys that was the book you wish your parents had read we hope you feel like you're glad that we read it to you or yeah. we told it to you. <laughs> um, but let us know some books that you would like us to read next. Put them in the comments. Put them on our Instagram. And we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.